Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining me. We have a great episode for you today. It is with actor, comedian, and musician Dylan Adler, who is rightfully beloved. I was happy, I was so happy he said yes to this interview because he's so talented and whenever I hear his name, people are raving about him. Like, that's just what always comes with the mention of Dylan Adler. And I think he's one for you to watch. Trigger warning, this talk does involve a very sensitive subject, sexual assault. It's not the whole conversation, but he does a show with previous guest Kelly Bachman called Rape Victims Are Horny Too. He is open and honest about his experience, and he talks about it a little in this conversation, in the context of a song that he performs. And I think it's really brave for him to talk about it. I think it's also really inspiring to see someone take control of the narrative of something that happened to them and tell their story in the best way they know how, in his case, in comedic songs. That's empowering. And that's also not for everyone. I'm sure I get that. And if that's you, I respect that. I mention it now to give you a chance to bow out if you need to. It's, a, as I said, a really great talk, really inspiring, and also really funny. Here's my chat with Dylan Adler. You are from California. What mm-hmm. part of California? I'm from San Rafael. It's a suburb, a city outside of San Francisco. So you cross okay. the Golden Gate Drive for like, you know, 30 minutes, you're, that's where I live. Okay, okay. I hadn't heard of it. I was wondering where it was. I yeah. wasn't sure if I could pronounce it correctly. It's a pretty simple name to pronounce, though. <laughs> San Rafael. But I'm not from California, so I don't really know the uh, area. I love San Francisco. I've been there once. and thought. It was I beautiful. love, I know, I love, you know, being from there, I never appreciated how gorgeous it is. But now that I'm away, I'm like, Fuck, I can't believe I didn't appreciate how beautiful this was. I can't believe yeah. it. And you went to NYU. You studied mm-hmm. music composition and theory. Yes, yes, but, yes. But you were a diver. Yes, I was also a, a diver for the school, yes. Okay, because I saw a bit where you uh, uh, referenced that you were a diver, but... I didn't know if that was real. I thought it was just for the for the sketch. Um, oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, then yeah. I found out in research that you really are a diver. So that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was so all of when I was in high school, I just swam. I swam and then I wanted to swim for the team at NYU, but they were just too fast. And I, I would have been like a walk-on. And then like the team was like toxic mask. I wasn't liking the vibe. So I was like, what if I tried diving? So I just walked onto the diving team and it, it was so much more fun. I, I'm really happy I did it. Oh, that's cool. What is the pivot from swimming to diving like? The, there's really no skills you can gain, learn from swimming that will transfer to diving. That's what I was imagining. All. 
It's just when you're in the water at it's the end of diving. The only thing that's similar is the water. That's it. <laughs> but I was a gymnast when I was young and I did trampoline and tumbling. So I was able to transfer those skills into diving. Like, right. Yeah, much. Oh, wild. Okay, that's cool. So I was going to say, you know, if you're diving in, in college and you're doing music theory, that means both your passion for music and your passion for swimming slash diving must have been things you had been doing for quite some time. And you somewhat yes. answered that because you were a gymnast as a kid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They were things I've been like passionate about doing. I played piano when my mom started me and my brother on lessons when we were six. So wow, we were yeah. pretty young when we started. But yeah, I, they, there were things that I've been doing for a long time that I always really loved. And I imagine you did some performing, too, in high school and maybe even before. Did you do any plays or anything? In high school, I did one musical where I had a non-speaking role as a tap dancer. I was a 40s mobster. My name was Muscles. And that was like <laughs> kind of my thing. And, and but, so you also danced. And so I tap danced. Yes, I tap danced. But I was not... I was in the closet. I was really too quiet and shy to like, you know, really fully be in a play mm. and like do that stuff. But I, I kind of wanted to, I like from the back, I was like, oh, I wish I could perform like that. So mm. I, 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 you know, that that's kind of how I did more sports, I think, in high school and stuff. Oh, OK. You mentioned that you were in the closet at the time. And obviously everyone's journey with their sexual orientation is different. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. no, not everyone has the same journey, but I just remember thinking a while ago that things must be a lot easier for teens of the last 10, 15 years sure. because people mm. could be so open with it. But I guess it's not necessarily so that everyone would have just been coming out at 14 or something. No, like that. no. And the crazy thing is I say I'm from a suburb outside of San Francisco. Everyone's like, oh my God, like that must have been so like liberal, gay people everywhere. No, no, not at there were like people like, you know, everyone's parents at my school like voted no on Prop 8, but like mm. they would use gay mm. as like a slur and say the F word. And it was like, mm. still like, it was just like, not like there were not many out people at my high school just because yeah. it was a very like, you know, homophobic place. And I, I didn't come out to like the high school, technically me and my gay twin brother too. We came out to our close friends and our family, but I know, I think there's still, there's still, Still, still a long way to go when it comes to that. I think today still, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what is unfolding in regards to what the LGBTQ experience and also what minorities experience, uh, a lot is sort of coming out as, hey, this is sort of so ingrained in normalcy in America that there's still a lot of issues for people being able to just really live their full true self. Definitely. Openly. Definitely, definitely. Mm. I mean, I guess I could say as a black person, we still code switch. And if we still have the code switch in 2021, yeah. to be in certain circles, then, yeah. you know, I guess we, we still have quite a long way to go of unlearning a lot of negativity and, and really toxicity. Absolutely. I 100% agree that it is very, very all the like it's you know a sense of like oh 2021 everything is but it's so deeply ingrained um mm. you know the 
you know, homophobia and transphobia and racism. And it's like the kid, like, I remember I was I, I, like, this is like a random, I was like during quarantine, I was, you know, I was, I had a therapist that I would go to and like, there's a high school around. And I remember like, I would hear these like kids just like yelling gay slurs and like racial slurs. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, this is, this is horrible. This is just like when I was in high school. Yeah. It's wild. I, I, I can't, really fully understand why people are pushing back on just the, the basic things that people need. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it's, it's strange that it happens. And, you know, in talking to you, I know this is a comedy podcast, but we end up talking about subjects like this. And uh-huh. I think it's because it often comes out in comedy. And I think it's come out For sure. in some of your comedy too. There was a, a bit yeah. a video that I saw that you did that's on your comedy reel as well, where you were talking about, oh, this guy's toxic masculinity. I I see him trying to project that onto me and Uh and what he's expecting of me. And then also your show that you did with Kelly Bachman. Yes, um, yes, yes. Victims of Horny too. Yes. And that is dealing with some of these issues. You know, there's so much to deal with, of course and no one show can cover them all but yeah you're you're yeah. talking about serious issues and the things that people face just in the way people automatically try to interact with one another yeah 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 exactly and i think that yeah like you mentioned the show that i'm doing with kelly we like we touch on like a bunch of topics like like i sometimes talk about like the fetishization of being like a gay asian and like that like kind of like weird racism too but also like toxic masculinity and toxic masculinity in like even like queer culture and gay cult and like we thought we cover the whole gamut but I guess it, it does touch it, the show and some of the things yeah we talk about touches on all those experiences and, and topics yeah and when that show was getting developed the one mm-hmm. you did with Kelly rape victims yeah. are horny too I mean just hearing the title I think uh-huh. is eye-opening because there is a sort of stigma around survivors of rape where people assume like, oh, they probably never want to have sex again. And, oh, you know, sure. like got to be really careful around them about the subject. When in reality, uh-huh. they're human beings exactly. who still experience emotions and exactly. will still want to have sex with someone they're dating. Yes, exactly. And that's what we want to convey that it's like, it's, it's very, it's not this kind of like, you know, washed over black and white situation of like, oh, now like, you know, now you, yeah, exactly. As you feel like don't want to have sex again. It's like, no, it's, you're like a human being that, and it's very complicated what you feel. Our first song is tell me I'm hot, but don't fucking touch me. And it's about like, like wanting to be pursued and how we're horny and want it, but also like, don't touch us because this, it's like this complicated push and pull that a lot of uh, survivors experience that I think Mm -hmm a lot of people like related to when we when we talk about it it is very complicated i you know like i definitely feeling those emotions i still experience of not wanting to be pursued or have sex but also like <laughs> you know being very horny and like mm-hmm. wanting to so yeah that's definitely something that we that we cover in the show too yeah and i think covering that sort of stuff and doing it 
and a humorous show, you know, a, it's a comedy show mm. after all. I think it yeah. makes it really easy for people to start having these conversations mm. that are just realistic, real life conversations that people need to start having because, you know, pursuit is a thing that is natural, but there's a wrong way to pursue mm. someone and and ways that are healthy and normal. And or I shouldn't say normal in this discussion, since a lot of things that have been made normal are things that we need to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that there's so much about this that people just are too afraid to even talk about it all. Is that yeah. something, once you started doing the show, did you notice a lot of people say, hey, this is, this is helping me just think about any of this stuff in my relationship? Yes, yes. I, um, some of the most like, like the biggest reason why we want to do the show is so survivors can feel less alone and feel like they have a, they can have the, you know, there's a space for them in their life to express what they need to express in their truth, their boundaries. And that they're not, you know, it's so easy to feel kind of crazy and like, kind. but it's, you know, we want to make, you know, survivors of trauma feel less crazy and less alone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have reached out to say like, you know, that, you know, I've, I'm able to like express my physical boundaries a little more and express like my truth after seeing the show. And like, you know, I, um, and I think in, in introducing humor into it, it's, that's me and Kelly's way of coping with like pain. That's like our, so if we could like, even if there's like people are going through something in there, they, something, to help pull them out of it, like a joke about, if they could like pull on a joke about it that that maybe we wrote or they came up with themselves, that's like to make it a little less bad. That's something that, mm. a goal that we had with the show. Oh, and cool. yeah, we, the response has been for the most part, like really, really heartwarming and affirming. That's nice. That's always good. To, Cause you know, you put something out for you and that feels uh-huh. nice and you don't yeah. necessarily anticipate anyone else saying, hey, it did that for me too. You know, like, exactly. You you, the, the, I think when you go to put out a show, the first thing you think is, well, I hope people laugh. I hope people are there and enjoy the show. And then exactly. that's like <laughs> when that show goes off and there are a lot of people there and people are enjoying it, you're like, all right. That's great. I got the icing on the cake. Everyone liked it. And then you get this this other feedback of like, yeah, yeah, that's so deep. That's got to be that's that's got to feel great. It does. And, you know, that's so I like that you brought up like laughter and stuff, because, you know, sometimes there are moments in the show that are so sincere and like that that sometimes we don't get the laughs we want and it's, and we have to, and sometimes me and Kelly will like walk off the stage or sometimes the show is really difficult to do. Or sometimes we feel like, Oh shit, the audience was a little quieter tonight. And maybe we, maybe we bombed because like we're comic silence feels like bombing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, the show also has another, you know, I, I do like other material that isn't, related to this stuff and it's really nice to get like a, a like laughter and that and that's really fun but like to have on top of that like a deeper kind of like wow like oh my god I can talk about this too I really felt that that's like even like hits a, a, another place which is really oh, nice that's cool one thing that you mentioned was you two made this show to cope with pain that you experienced 
Yeah. Once you make the show, obviously, you no know, one can expect when they make something for the same reason for the, mm -hmm. all the pain to go away. But how did mm -hmm. what in your experience has that process been like? Does it have these have a long term, especially since you do the show more than once? Does uh -huh. it have a long term benefit of coping with that pain and, and getting through it and getting past it? Yeah, I think that it was a really, I mean, I still suffer from like PTSD today. And I still, I mean, I'm in a place honestly right now where I, I still don't like physical contact. I, I haven't had sex in a long time because of, because of it. And, but the show I think has helped me in a way I had to, I had to tell my, my a lot of family and friends about what happened to me because I was posting about it online. Mm -hmm. I had to be the thing it really helped with was the shame that I held on to it and kind of the the kind of the emotions around, you know, like making space for myself and putting up boundaries and like really expressing like I'm sorry, I I don't think I'm I'm okay with sex right now or or this right now or I don't it, and I think it also helped me, you know, with, I've actually, I just made this connection now, but I stopped drinking during quarantine because I would kind of drink to, I think, dull myself a little bit and like dull, traumatized. And then I think by doing the show, I realized, oh shit, I was kind of putting myself to sleep when I did that. So mm. it like made me aware of myself and I think it, it was a really big step in like my healing journey. I'm still on it and I still suffer, you know, sometimes a lot from it still, but I think it was a huge, definitely really big help, really big help. There's a beauty to being able to take the art of music that you'd been studying for so long. And I don't know how long you've been doing comedy before NYU or before you were in New York mm -hmm. or how long you'd loved comedy, but there's also uh -huh. that experience yeah. that you're using to help you. Mm -hmm. There's something really beautiful about that to me, that, that this, the skill that you have and this love of music and, and obviously comedy and performing that you can use that to combat something that's bad in the world and mm -hmm. bad that's happened to you. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I I agree. Thank yeah, I think it is nice that some things that I didn't even realize could help me in this area of my life that I thought I kind of wanted to push away forever. It, it's like, oh yeah, I could use this thing I love, music and comedy, to actually help me with this. That mm -hmm. I this the you know this really really the thing I pushed down or pushed down a lot. So mm. yeah, it was the process of doing it was was very cathartic and writing it with another person. I I think I would have never been able to do it if I weren't writing it with another person. I think mm. who like can have has you know been through the same things. Right. You two clearly have a great bond. Where did you meet? We met. Oh, I I really uh, I like telling this story. We met at an open mic, and so I was doing um i was telling a, a rape joke that was bombing and mm -hmm. then she went on stage and did a rape joke that bombed and we looked at each other and we were like we should do an hour of this <laughs> <laughs> and then rape victims are horny too was born no but like mm -hmm. we kind of met each other through comedy and then and then 
you know, I knew her and I knew I liked her comedy a lot. I liked her jokes. And then she went viral for calling out Harvey Weinstein. And I'm like, oh my God, I know her. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then she put on Rape Jokes by Survivors. And then I, I did my material on that show. And then we wrote Rape, joke, rape Victims Are Horny too, the, the full hour length show. Yeah. Oh man, that's cool. Yeah. And we're best friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's great. You both are great. You're, you're so funny. You have a very natural comedic voice that, that I think is very evident when people see you perform. Where did the love of comedy come from for you? Oh, yeah. I think I, as a little kid, I loved to like put on plays for parents when they came over. And I was like, kind of like, a, a director and I would boss the kids around and, and, and give myself <laughs> the, the most lines. And, but then I, I always loved to like, and I think my family, my mom is like very, very funny in her family. Like we use it as like a weight as like glue. Like that's what like is a big thing. We love to laugh as a bit. Our family's big laugh is like, we laugh at anything. Like we're not picky. We're, we're, we're like, we're big. <laughs> like that's kind of our vibe. And I think I, I lost that kind of when I was in the closet and even like, you know, that performing itch that I always love to do, I kind of, you know, lost sight of that a little bit, I think. But then I rediscovered it when I like discovered improv and stand up and, and did an acting class. So I think that's kind of how like I, the love of comedy for me came to be. I always love Mad TV too and watching. Oh, comedy. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's great. So when you, it, when you got to New York, you were able to really jump right in. I mean, NYU is so in the thick of uh, a really good comedy scene, like where it is in the city. I know, I really was, and I didn't even plan to, I wasn't thinking about comedy at all when I chose mm -hmm. the school. I was like, oh, I really want to become a film composer, theater, compose music for theater, songwriter. That was like my, I was really, really, truly wanting to do that. But then I just kind of, Side, took one elective acting class that had an improv element and I was like oh this is really I really like doing this and then I went to an improv jam at the people's improv theater and I'm like this is fun and I like kept going and then got addicted took classes started met people did stand up with them and then it's like <laughs> never stopped since you know <laughs> I was wondering what sent you all the way from California to New York I mean I'm sure the parents uh -huh. were not super thrilled that you were going to the opposite side of the country. But obviously, uh, if that was what your passion was, that's a good school for it. Did you have any other schools in mind? I don't know what schools would be good for that other than yeah. NYU. Yeah, I was considering there was a school, Pitzer in California, I was considering there was another one called Chapman University. It was really between Chapman and NYU because oh. Chapman also had a really good uh, music composition program and film scoring things. So I was really deciding between them. And I honestly would have- Chapman is in Orange County, California. Okay, okay. Yeah. And if I could, if, I mean, location-wise, much better than, in my opinion, than New York. I, it's so cold. But <laughs> the program, the program I really love. So I chose, I chose uh, NYU. And you're still in New York? I'm still in New York, yes. So uh, Help get yeah. me out. Help me. <laughs> the first opportunity to leave, I'll go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you have 
I, I saw that you do have you have acting credits, so you have representation, you have management. Yes. Um, yes. And you kind of have the work. So you have commercial, you've got um mm -hmm. do you have a comedy manager or is your management kind of you know almost anything? Oh yeah, my management is for anything. He helps acting and writing and comedy. So he's involved in every aspect. My agent I think is more comedy and acting oriented mm -hmm. um and then yeah I think that's that's how it is but I just recently kind of got them during like the tail like like five months ago I got them which I'm really uh -huh. happy about but that's I'm cool. also still kind of like new to like having management so I I, I don't really know what's up yet <laughs> but I really <laughs> love them they're, they're great oh that's cool so what is the hope moving forward now I mean Obviously, mm -hmm. there's so many opportunities with your talent because you can perform, you can do stand up, you can uh -huh. do music, you can put on musical shows. There's, mm -hmm. there's acting in, in different kinds of things, commercials, yeah. film, TV, sketch. So what going forward are you kind of honing in on? For me, I've been, I, you know, I was really for a while just so one track like Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. And I, I, I mean, like, it's, it is the thing I love to do the most. And I think if I could just continue doing that, I mean, like, a special is definitely a dream of mine. That's like, I would love to, that, that's a big goal. But, you know, to be able to act as well, I would love to act in some capacity. I would love to write. I, I my, my manager has been like pushing, uh, like write a pilot. I've never done it, but I just finished it. And I'm like, okay, this was really hard, but I like it. I like to write a pilot. And that's something, I mean, the, like to have it written and produced and like to be able to do that is a dream. And I guess another big dream, <laughs> like I'm like talking huge goals too, but like I, I love musical theater still so much. And I would, to be able to write a musical would be, Mwah. I would I would love that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Has the dream to score a film kind of gone away or is is that still an option? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that 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 went away actually like one month into college. I was like, oh, this shit is crazy. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's understandable. It's understandable. A lot of people they get to college and they they think this is what I want to do. Yeah. And then they get a little taste and they go, I'd rather do something else. I know. It's like, I thought I was Joe Hisaishi, but I, I, I guess I can't. It's not in me. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does one move forward in, in this position now that you're in? Uh, like, what mm. is, what, what are the things you have to do to sort of make that stuff happen? Obviously, managers and agents look for work, but what, uh -huh. what do you have to do on a day-to-day, -day, would you say? Oh, that's <laughs> the same question. <laughs> but um, I, I'm trying to think the things that I've, you know, for me, what, I, what, I, what I'm focusing on the most is I, you know, I pretty much, I do like maybe like, two to three shows a night. So focusing on writing new material, just like amalgamating material is like something that's very tangible to me right now. And, you know, <clears throat> for like, you know, hopefully a greater length of period is some like, period of time is something that um, I'm focusing on. But also I think I, I, um, honing in on 
my pilot as a sample to get a writing job mm. is one thing I'm doing. And just focusing on my auditions. And I just recently finished an acting class because I, you know, I'm not a trained actor, but I really, I started getting auditions and I'm like, fuck, I really don't know how to fuck to audition. I don't know how to do this. So to take a class, I took a class to help me get a little more active. So I think those were the steps for me, like oh, taking cool. a class, honing it on the, like getting a sample and just continuing to like write material as like kind of a constant. Oh, that's cool. Where did you take the acting class? I took it online. It was Heidi Marshall. She's amazing. I highly recommend if anyone's looking for an acting class to like, you know, for anyone who I, I didn't know what audition etiquette was or like what you like, what casting is looking for. So that was a, a, a really big help. Oh, okay, cool. And also you mentioned doing shows a lot. Mm-hmm. You said you're doing three shows a night. So is that hitting up different stand-up rooms and doing stand-up or, or different yeah, kinds of shows? That's doing, yeah, different rooms sometimes, mostly in Brooklyn, but sometimes in Manhattan. It's my musical comedy material. Okay. And yeah, it's, yeah, just I do every time I will like start with something that I know is going to, you know, something that I know will hit. And then maybe in the middle, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try something new. Let's see. And then like, you know, do a little bit of that and then close on something that I know is, you know, that will get the crowd going. So, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it does. But I, I really, yeah, that that's kind of, it's interesting, like the difference between some like, Manhattan venues and then Brooklyn venues. It's like, right. I really like like noticing those differences too. Oh yeah, like just crowd differences or setup differences or all of it. Both crowd differences, you know, some like audiences are just literally hopped off a plane from, you know, like Nebraska and they're looking for something to do and they want to see a comedy show. And then some people are like, you know, people from Brooklyn who like know, like, you know, like they want to see the alt stuff and they're like, uh-huh. it's, it's interesting to compare. And I think I, I'm more, I guess, involved in like Brooklyn stuff, but I also sometimes will occasionally do like a Caroline spot and like a, a stand spot for that. And it's like knowing kind of what will uh-huh. resonate with these people and what will resonate with these people. What, right. What, yeah. And also like if the audience is like, sometimes I'll perform for Asian audiences or like audiences that are like, you know, it's like what, and, and sometimes I gear more material to them. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, I, yes, I can, I can say this shit now. <laughs> <laughs> With the musical improv doing, you know, musical sets at mm-hmm. various venues in one night, what is the setup so that it's not so hard to, move around to the different places that you're going in one night, but also just set up quickly. Yeah, so I basically send tracks to a tech. I send Mm -hmm. tracks with cue lines of what I'm gonna say. So I kind of, for some shows, need to like know what I'm gonna do a little bit when it music wise. Mm -hmm. And and I'll I'll just send tracks to a tech, but sometimes the venue doesn't have that. So I'll bring my own speaker right here Mm. And I'll, I'll cue it from my own phone. Oh, cool. 
sometimes there's a little delay and I'll just be on my phone and then I'll say like, oh my God, everyone give it up for Asians in tech. Like when I'm setting it up and that usually kind of stalls, it, I'm able to like, you know, they're still engaged while I'm like working on the phone. Okay, <laughs> cool. Because I could feel the audience like get lost when I would like get on the phone. They're like, oh, this bitch doesn't care about it. He's on his phone. I'm like, no, I'm queuing up my own track. <laughs> well, that's cool. That technology makes it so much easier to do this now, huh? I, get, I, yes. I imagine you don't much have to easier. bring a keyboard with you. I used to do that, which was hell. Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. bet. I bet. Having that little wireless speaker. So much easier. It like saved my back. It did, everyone in New York would hate me when I lugged a piano on the subway. <laughs> and sometimes it was crowded. So it was just bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would sometimes bring pianos into Ubers and they'd be like, no, 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 no. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yes, yes. We're going to make it work, sir. Yes. <laughs> and it was like, it would dangle outside the window. It was just, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, no, this is a much better situation. Much then. better, much better. <laughs> with, you know, upcoming, well, with the, the pandemic, has it slowed down your ability to go do shows or has it started picking up again? I would say for me, it kind of, it feels like back. Like it's like the amount of speed and things like, <laughs> for better for worse it does feel like the the speed of and I feel like during pandemic there is a sense of like oh we the ba- mental health and balance and finding all that <laughs> now it's like no nope, now we're completely back to the same shit I'm like what but I think but uh, yeah that's kind of how I feel a little bit oh that's cool I have a question about how you create musical songs. We've had a a couple of people on Mm -hmm. who make music and comedic music. Mm -hmm. And we've had a number of people who are involved with musical improv. Obviously, this is different because you're writing it. So when you are coming up with a song, a musical comedic bit, is there a structure that you're following outside of the structure of music theory? Yeah, for when it comes to musical bits, what I would do is, you know, I I would go to open mics and piano with, with that had pianos, and I would I would have a melody and I would have the chords pretty much, but I would have these lyrics and I would have verses that I would just do and try out that I that I thought were funny, and then if they worked, then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep this and keep writing out the song. If they didn't, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'll scrap that. I'll scrap this verse. I'll scrap this. So I would go to venues with pianos, which I kind of, and now that I, I know the, the Creek in the Cave is what I'm thinking of because they had a piano in the back room, which I would always go to to try out my material. But now that it's gone, it's, there's, I'm a little like, oh, fuck, where can I try out my shit? But I kind of, you know, what I like to do is I like to write, like kind of, take inspiration from a song and use like kind of loosely melody and chords. And then in a way, like put lyrics over it that might juxtapose the energy of the lyrics and music in a funny way, mm-hmm. or like just kind of like that I think are funny and see how they work. And for a song that I have called, Why Am I Still Fucked Up? It's a song that I sometimes do. I 
took the chords from Adele's He Won't Go, I Can't Do It On My Own, If This Ain't Love Then What Is, and kind of like putting like, but it's a song about like being frustrated with your therapist that it's like, why are you not working? I'm still, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of like mapping. The, that's a, yeah, guess, mapping a comedic a improv technique. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And, and then I guess it's also kind of a parody situation too. Yes, yes, yes. In some situations it is a parody, but for other songs like that one, it's like, it's different enough where it is like its own song. Yes. And also the song, the original song is not what spurred the idea, which with a parody mm -hmm. it is. But exactly. in this particular case, you had an idea and said like, well, how can I present this? Exactly, exactly. And I've heard of people, musicians doing that before where they, they had a, a song and just sort of the feel of it to like, oh, why don't we do it? Like, you know how Chuck Berry did this, you know, like they, they, they took something that's out in the world of music yeah. And said that's this how, will match. That's how so many songs are written. So almost every song there's every like for like Pharrell taking the chords from a Brazilian guitarist to write happy and fuse it with jazz. Like that is how ev like every Bob Dylan taking from Woody Guthrie to mm -hmm. write his songs. Like that's how songwriters write. They take the chords and the and from, yeah. from other songs and they spin it enough to make it their own song right right or maybe just the chord progression but it's just yeah. a completely different key or something and then it has its own melody exactly but, you know chord progressions are up for grabs exactly yeah i think a lot of people don't necessarily know like they'll hear something like that it's like oh so everyone's stealing and it's like well no it's yeah chord, you know you no one owns chord progression no one owns a chord progression you can't <laughs> own <laughs> yeah exactly that's true. There are only 12 notes. <laughs> I know. There are so many, there are only so many notes. So many notes. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking about this the other day. For some reason, it was in the news that Pharrell, Robin Thicke, T.I. song that oh, yeah. came under fire because they got sued by the Marvin Gaye estate. And yeah. I, there were musicians on both sides, like musicians that I listened to and, and uh, uh, like friends with and, and learn about music from half of them were saying oh it's totally stealing and the other half were saying no it's the baseline's different and this and that's different yeah <laughs> it's that's a really tough one but in general you know it's pretty obvious when somebody's just straight up stealing <laughs> exactly when someone is straight up stealing it's like yeah like if you're taking like a joke or a song word for word it's like yeah people are gonna fucking know right but for when it comes to like writing and creating, I would watch interviews of like, how do they write that song? It's like, yeah, I took the chords from this song, Save It for Later, the 80s, and I made my own spin on it. It's like, yeah, I took the, you know, um, Eddie Vedder's Better Man song. He took the chords from an 80s like synth song to write that one. He like people, it's that's what you do. You take. Like, you know, the Beatles took from like Chuck Berry and like Little Richard to write their to write their rock songs. That's how mm -hmm. they like started, you know. Yeah. Doing... And then I guess the early rock and roll pioneers learned that structure from Bach. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's all... sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is influencing they, everyone uh, to a exactly, certain extent. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah.
I, I think that when it comes to like, so in the end of like the Pharrell, the, that thing, they, they added Marvin Gaye as a co-writer. So mm-hmm. he's getting the royalties from it. I think rightfully so, for sure. But yeah, I think when it comes to creation, it's like, yeah, you, you got to be inspired. from Right. Some- yeah, yeah. Everyone who started playing music at one point heard music and then wanted to do it. So how that's inspiration mm. from other music, you know? Like exactly. how can how can you take inspiration out of it? Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been an awesome talk. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Now it's time to create something together and maybe like uh breaking down how you would break a song or come up with a song. And you sort okay. of talked so, about this. Yes. Yeah, so basically I'll just kind of like go through the the thing of making like one of the songs the fucked up song so basically the chords for he won't go i can't do it on my own if this ain't love then what is i'm willing to take the risk and then kind of i change it to like why am i still fucked up one time at a family gathering i made a joke about the sexual tension between my twin mother and i and it bombed it was so <laughs> awkward for my grandma oh my god she survived Japanese internment. Fuck my life. Why am I Earth? It's like so kind of mapping it onto that. And then mm-hmm. like I would come home and some shitty thing would happen. It's like I randomly, why am I still fucked up? I went to the store and then someone blah 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 blah. And then it's like I'm trying it out and seeing how it fits in this kind of 10-second melody. Then I go. And if I found it funny and I wanted to and I liked it, I would go, open mic, try it out. If it worked, I'd keep it. If it didn't, I'm like, oh, fuck, I guess I gotta not keep it. Okay. Is there any way to sort of punch up? I imagine because there's some moving parts to it, it's not like, you know, you you try it and a song doesn't go well that you can say like, hmm, maybe it's the song I chose or maybe it's the music, that the way I played the music. It's probably more like just about the joke and whether or not people got it. Yes. It is more, I think about that. The melody is like kind of set in stone. Mm-hmm. The chords are set in stone, but when it comes to lyric, well, lyric informs the melody. So lyric and melody is kind of what changes. And I think something mm-hmm. interesting, trigger warning, I'm sorry. One of my favorite verses from the song is, why mm-hmm. am I still fucked up? Is it okay if I talk yeah. about dark stuff? This is also in mm-hmm. Rape Victims are Horny too. Why am I still fucked up? I was raped in a hotel on the Lower East Side. I don't remember which hotel it was, but when I'm in the neighborhood, I'm like, huh, Delancey or or Essex? <laughs> and then, but beforehand, I had a verse that was like, I was, it was like, why am I still fucked up? I was raped in a hotel on the Lower East Side. I don't remember which hotel it was, but when I'm in the neighborhood, I'm like, hmm. I'm like searching, like, where's Walt? And the laugh would come after I went, hmm. And I would kind of run over the laugh by keeping talk. So I realized like, oh, I just have to go, hmm. And that's like enough. People know what that means. So I guess that was like one moment where I kind of like, like shaped the song a little bit to what, how Right. And when, when the idea is sparked, like let's say you take a random thing, like toxic behavior on social media, And you have, that's probably too loose to say, how do I make that a song? Toxic behavior on social media. No, I don't think that's loose enough to make a song for, I mean, in my opinion. If it has to do with like a specific moment, I'm like, okay, what music would be funny as like a juxtaposition for like toxic behavior on social media? Is it like Mm -hmm. something like... 
is it something like, or is it more like, you know, a, like a little bit of a groove, like, or is it, or maybe a groove is too little, or maybe, it, maybe it'll be something like, maybe it's something like, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I kind of like think about what music is funny to juxtapose with this lyric, what lyric is funny. And I guess also a common thing with writing music is you have maybe just some placement words there like you know earlier you're like da 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 like you maybe you you have some structure but not all you don't have the full verse or the full chorus yes yes yeah sometimes i don't have all the words and sometimes they'll come to you after you or sometimes during or sometimes like before you go on stage you're like oh yeah i should say this ah and and i guess sometimes the music even helps inform uh, a direction to go with it. Uh, it's... 100% because the music is a part of the whole energy of, and the swing of the, of the whole, you know. Right, song. and can make you think of something that you didn't think about when you sat down and first started writing the song. A thousand percent, hmm. definitely, definitely. That's an interesting thing about music. I, like I hear that when U2 makes music that the, or they make a song Bono just kind of does gibberish over the song until real words start manifesting. And yeah, you know, yeah. and and that's why. And everyone knows with Paul McCartney writing yesterday that it was originally scrambled eggs because he just had the melody that he was playing on the guitar, but he yeah. didn't have any of the lyrics yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he just wanted to keep the that sort of melody. So he just said, oh, scrambled eggs. You know, like, exactly. Yeah, no, that's how uh, so much, so many songs happen. Like, like they have the chords, they have the melody, and I'm like, all right, what are the, what are those words? What are those words? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's super fun. Well, there it is, Dylan. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it, Jason. This was so much fun to talk about. Oh my gosh, it was so great. I hope you enjoyed that. Dylan has a show coming up on April 15th at Caveat at 9.30. Caveat is one of the best venues in New York City. I hope you can make it to this show and more. Follow Dylan on Instagram at DylanAdler underscore and on Twitter at DylanAdler6. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ThereItIsPod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at ThereItIs. You can follow me on Instagram at JasonFarPix and on Twitter at JasonFarJokes. Also subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have Patreon and PayPal. Go to ThereItIsPod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Got a great episode for you next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 